0: Welcome to The Coaching Podcast, coach for success in sport and business. Welcome to The Coaching Podcast. I'm Simon Blair. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Diana Kutea. Uh, Diana is the founder of Coaching Peace Consulting, a company focused on using the power of play and connection to empower organizations and teams to create cultures of care, belonging and peace. Love it, Diana. Welcome to the coaching podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate being here for sure. And uh, I'm going to take that introduction. I'm going to use it in everything that I do. That's like a little soundbite. That was a fantastic introduction. Thank you.
0: Oh no worries at all. You can go go for your life. Um, and if you yeah. need me to do any other voiceover type stuff, feel free to contact me. <laughs> <My God. laughs> Um, so, Diana, you're currently in uh, Portland, Oregon, correct? Yes.
1: Yes. The left coast, as we call it here. The, the Pacific coast. Northwest.
0: Brilliant. Uh, and I'm in Melbourne, so it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, with uh, with Zoom to be able to connect with people so far away. Uh, we've had a good little little bit of a chat already, um, which has been fun. So, uh, but now it's interview time. And so I'm really fascinated by, uh, I suppose, your bio, and I've, I've, I've read a little bit, and Coaching Peace Consulting. Tell us and our audience, obviously, a bit more about that and and yourself um, to set the scene.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me. Um, So a little bit about like the organization, then I'll give you a little context of of me and, and who I am. So I started Coaching Peace about 10 years ago, but I've been doing a lot of this work for, I would say, 25 years. And the whole idea behind coaching piece was actually, it was the title of my master's thesis. And I literally wrote it and then kind of put it on a shelf. I was like, got the degree, I'm out, I'm done. (laughs) And and then as I was coaching, I was coaching um, in college at the time, actually, I was an assistant women's basketball coach and i had coached basketball for many, many years And as I was seeing some of the things that we were doing in coaching and how we were coaching young people, how we were coaching college students, I went back and I looked at my thesis um, and I thought, you know what, I can actually take some of this and and really like use it in some of the work that I'm doing. Um, I was a, by the time I kind of took that off the shelf, I was a college athletic director and I thought, I want to do this differently. I want to actually create a system Within the college athletics system in the US, but I want to create a program here that does things differently um, and truly coaches peace. And I'll talk about what that means as we kind of get through a little bit. You know, my background is kind of simple. I was raised through sport um, my whole life, I started playing sport when I was a young kid in recreation leagues and you know on the street corner and I was a kid that just loved playing and moving and being active Um, and I ended up playing all through high school and then I got a scholarship um, to play uh, in college a partial scholarship to play in college and then um, ended up not playing after my freshman year and I went straight into coaching. And it was actually a really good idea because I think I was a much better coach than a player. Wow. Um, I think as a player, <laughs> I always was a coach. So I just, um, it was the perfect segue into you know a, a career. So I started coaching when I was 19. Mm. And I loved coaching. I loved everything about it. Um, and got my first head co- coaching position in high school, when I was 21, got my first coaching position in college when I was 23. Um, And of course, when I was that age, I thought I knew everything and I was the best coach (laughs) that ever existed. And I can say I'm almost 50 now. And I'm like, gosh, I knew nothing then. I know nothing now, but uh, how, how youth is wasted on the young. Yes. But I, you know, I really looked at coaching, um, and the way that we interact with teams and how we bring groups together um, through just a very different lens. And when I started coaching peace, I was convinced I would be training coaches and I'd be training athletic directors. And that's what I would do. Um, That's about 25% of the work that I do now, because much of what we learned in that process was that this actually can be applied Mm. the way that we think about coaching. It doesn't matter what you're coaching, whether you're coaching somebody to make a layup or you're coaching someone, you know, to kind of create a, a culture that is a culture of belonging within an organization. It doesn't matter what the there there is. What matters is the how, mm. and that's really the way we do it. We have a very kind of unique approach to the how.
0: It's um, brilliant insight. Um, look, uh, Emma will be listening to this uh, episode, uh, my co-host, and. Uh, um her and I have trod very different paths, but one of these commonalities, and it relates so very much to what you've just said about yourself, is uh, around the same age. I was nineteen myself when I started coaching basketball, junior basketball. Uh, and everything really? you just said ex- was the first, you know, five, ten years of my career because that coincided with me starting to coach within business um within my work and the crossover was just a, a beautiful thing um in in gaining those insights that you've identified uh and and emma herself um did a did a similar uh, sort of pathway with her early days of and it's, you know the classic thing of being a player starting to coach as a player evolving very young to be a coach uh i think a lot of our audience is, would be able to relate to those early um early formative stages and uh of course we were the best coaches. I mean, who was there to tell us any different? Best, best
1: <laughs> I, um, I often look back at that time for embarrassment for myself and think, oh, like, yeah. wow, you know, the I was always open to learning. I would be at mm. clinics all the time. I'd be talking to people. Sure, um, sure. My idol, my absolute, like, unbelievable idol was Pat Summit who coached the University of Tennessee women's basketball program um, and is has left a tremendous you know, legacy. Um, but I just remember flying down, saving my money and flying down to Tennessee for a one day clinic. I was in um, Connecticut at the time to just sit and like, listen. And I had a whole list of questions that I wanted to ask her. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do it. And I, you know, she's, she's one of the all-time greatest women's basketball coaches in the history of the game. Yep. And here I am, like some small little junior college <laughs> coach who's like, you know. So I have my list on my notepad, you know, because there was no cell phones back then. Yes. And um, I said, Coach Summit, you know, she was leaving the, the thing after. I said, I have a <laughs> bunch of questions. Do you mind? You, could we <laughs> and she's like, I don't have time to do that now, but leave your number with my assistant and I'll call you later. And wow. I thought... She's not going
0: to call. Not gonna me. call.
1: <laughs> She's not going to call me. <laughs> two weeks later, I get a call that says, "Pat's on the road, and she'd like to call you in an hour because she has two hours of time that yes. she can talk to you."
0: Ugh.
1: And it blew my mind. She mm. called me, and I just remember now going through these questions. That now, when I think back, I'm like, <laughs> she must have been like, "Why are you? Co- you don't know this. Why are you coaching? You should know this." But she didn't. She answered every single question and talked to me about every single thing. And that right there was a big moment for me because I felt like I'm nobody in the coaching world, but yet I'm somebody to you right now. Mm. And that matters. So how do I create programs? How do I create environments where no matter who walks in the door, no matter who's talking to me that they matter. They matter right now. They're the most important person. I don't focus on anybody else because that's the model that I got.
0: Yeah. Take away your status, your position, your, your cult of personality, whatever, wherever you've got to in your career to be able to just uh, never forget when you see that, that, that young aspiring coach approaching you with a bunch of questions (laughs) and you're in a hurry.
1: (laughs) Right. Never never forget,
0: never forget. Um, I'm fascinated. I I love that story. Um, Diana, any chance you've got that bunch of questions stashed away somewhere?
1: I do. I do. I I wish I would have. I have a notebook from I I ended up working Pat's camp for several years um, after that. And every night after, you know, at the end of camp, um, at the end of the day, she would have a little coaching clinic, you know, just an impromptu coaching clinic. And I have like six spiral notebooks that I just wrote, you know, wow. and I don't even know if I ever went back to look, <laughs> up, but I soaked up every possible thing um, and really tried to kind of tailor a lot of those things. What's interesting is that at the same time that I look at sport as this amazing thing that taught me so many things, I also look at it as a system that's really broken. And the way we coach in sport is really broken. And I've been a a very loud opponent and kind of like, uh, I would say I'm I'm trying to be an agent of change in this Mm -hmm. way around the idea that the system right sport of itself the game of basketball tennis whatever it is yes that's not it the system and how we think we should motivate and coach people yes. especially young people is just not right like we just we can't do that anymore
0: so there's an uh, a report that came out in Australia yesterday by an independent um, so government appointed um, commission of some sort to investigate that exact issue in sport in Australia, in particular, swimming and gymnastics. Uh, and swimming in Australia is a big deal uh, in mm-hmm. terms of, um, you know, and you see that reflected in our uh, yeah. results at the Olympics, and et cetera. Uh, and a lot of media has come out by um, brave uh, individuals who are even currently in the sport, very similar to what happened in, when the lead got ripped off with gymnastics in America. Right. Um, and obviously globally, gymnastics is probably the pinnacle of what we always knew even many, many years ago about the manner of coaching by often these quite brutal um, old men. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, With young girls. Um, And and outside of any other issues, um, uh, you know, with um, abuse and, and what have you, but just, how they were coached uh, and, and and tortured basically. It's a form of torture. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely, it's abuse. Sports it, where it, the it. the beliefs, the standard beliefs of this is just how it is. This is how within this sport. This is how it goes. And those norms. Um. And where these sports basically have had full responsibility to govern themselves. And in terms of governance of even issues that get reported. And so, basically the report has revealed that that is the single greatest failure and, no, sorry, no longer. Um, sports, you don't get uh, that anymore. Um, when issues get raised, there has to be independence um, because of self
1: Right. The, the, the tricky thing is you have a minister of sport, am I correct? Yes. You have a, a governing body for sport. Yes. In the US, we don't. While the right. US Olympic committees right, do have a certain number of, and each of those individual governing bodies have some kind of purview over sport. When we look at sport on the youth level, not at those kind of higher or pipeline you know, things, there is no, no one's monitoring that. No one's yeah, yeah. looking at that, right? So it is a capitalist society that drives the way that work gets done. So it's it's about money. It's about how many kids am I getting into college. It's about what access I'm getting. And we've lost what sport should be. Or maybe it was never, I say we've lost yeah. it, but maybe it, it was never day? there. Maybe <laughs> that's the problem.
0: And isn't it, well, again, from this report, and this is very fresh From It was literally yesterday when I was reading the outcomes of it. And, um, <clears throat> One of the interesting things, because I've done a fair bit of, apart from my early days, more recently junior coaching with uh, girls football, which is really uh, Australian rules football, which for the women's game has just exploded in Australia. It's just a beautiful thing, and my my own daughters are involved. Um, <clears throat> and so I've had that coaching experience within football. But within Australia, football culture uh, has typically been... Um, yeah, you know, very quite toxic historically in terms of a male-dominated sport, and any time you get that, then you get a certain style of, you know, berating players, and that's accepted and what have you. And of course, with the explosion of the girls' game, a lot of the coaches uh, end up being um, uh, men, which are often dads and that sort of thing. But their own exposure to sport has been their own experiences as as boys in and men in in this often toxic environment and and so the norms while there's a moderation with full knowledge of you know girls girls uh they're different creatures certainly at at critical ages of teenage years um it needs a different style it needs a different approach um and but the thing that came out was that coaches are basically giving given too much authority at junior level It's like you're the coach. You're this mystical being that somehow becomes
1: imbued with these skills, and
0: yeah, I can't question you. And it's like you're dealing with kids, and so the governance of coaches. And I think this our podcast is, and and Emma and myself, a part of what we do is all about obviously um, helping develop insights and shared experiences um, to obviously further the 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 profession in sport and business. Um, Yeah, so. Yeah, be interested to know your thoughts, your even your own experiences, uh, even more recently with the work that you're doing, because reg- a couple of things jumped out at me from looking at uh, your your profile around uh, something was fascinating toxic positivity. Be good to get your thoughts mm. on that and how it's an empathy blocker, um, but also that uh, yeah that that level of abuse and I suppose look and it comes down to your your business, isn't it? Peace consulting, um, and, and what is it you're doing? And I suppose what some of the challenges that you've had. And and great outcomes where you've been able to apply your work to the sort of things that we've uh, you brought up and and I've just been reading about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to kind of address like the first thing, um, we we focus a lot on empathy. We believe empathy is really important, um, obviously in all the work that we do. If we were going to think about you know if you were to say what's one thing that if any coach could have would be the most important thing. Um, but other than humility would be empathy, which I think is part of empathy in some ways. Yes, um, yes, I think that when we say that toxic positivity is a kind of blocker to empathy, what we mean by that is we live in this society where it's like, you know, turn your pain into power and overcome everything. It's mm. this very, you know, at least the United States is very individualistic, you know we can overcome anything. It's this yes. myth of the meritocracy. You pull yourselves up and you mm-hmm. do that. Right? None of that is real, and none of that exists. Although there, there are moments right where that happens sure. around it. But the problem with that is just what we saw in the Olympics, right? Simone Biles, who says, "I don't, uh, nope, I'm. This is my mental health. This is my physical health. Like, nope, I'm not going to do that." You have a group of people who kind of say, like, "Yes, finally." Take control. You you get to decide what is good for your body. The entity that governs you doesn't get to decide what's good for your body anymore. Mm. You decide what that is, and then you have this other camp of people, right, that are like, you got to overcome that. You got to <laughs> do that. You know, whatever.
0: I love the narrative. They love the narrative. The turning. It's the hero story. It's <laughs> the classic you know, tales. <laughs>
1: as we kind of say, it's the Kurt Schilling, it's the bloody sock when the Red Sox won, you know, finally reversed the curse. There's, there's, <laughs> here's Kurt Schilling, who's pitching and he's, he's got a bloody sock. And I always say like, it's that bloody sock mentality. It's that like you overcome it, you overcome pain. And I think what we need to recognize and understand is number one, the human condition life in and of itself is hard. We have, it, we, there's sadness, there's pain, there's you know, triumph, there's all of these things. Yep. We tend to try to ignore all of that. So when our athletes express sadness, when our athletes express frustration, we have this romanticized view of what sport is. So we want to tell them, overcome that. You can do anything. And there is a time and a place to push someone to think beyond the boundaries that they have. Yes. But that time and place is not to, to ignore what they're feeling. And I say like the best coaches I had were the coaches that let me be in the space. I'm sad today. I'm having a rough day. Mm -hmm. Like, and let me feel all the feelings because I can't overcome a feeling if I'm Mm -hmm. spending a ton of time trying to suppress it. Let Mm -hmm. me feel it. Let me be in it. Be in that space with me. That I feel is great coaching. So when we walk into organizations and folks say, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like this is a space for me. I don't feel like this is safe i don 't try to tell them number one we 're going to fix it, right, and number two i don 't try to deny their reality. I sit with them and I say that 's hard right that 's tough. I appreciate you sharing that right. Those are the things that become so valuable and important for coaching, and i don 't think mm-hmm. we do enough of that
0: no uh, totally uh, that's brilliant and it's i mean i 'm thinking as you were talking that it's' it 's about uh, being present um Yes, as a coach, you want to, and this is a good coach, will always be able to imagine a future state that's better than maybe what you can even see yourself. Uh, But you can't live in that future state and and therefore be always pushing towards it when there's stuff that's just there in your face um, that is real for that person that you're trying to coach and influence. and. God, when I think back to, yeah, you talked about some of the things as a junior coach, maybe for me, looking back for myself, that's probably what I just said is some of the bad coaching moments I had probably related to me just being too passionate, too keen, too eager to, because I could see this wonderful future state and um, I'm the one that's going (laughs) to take you to the mountain and, uh, and just too, too far too you know, hang on. Whoa, Nelly, just, Take take a take a pill. <laughs> Just relax. Be well, present. You
1: know,
0: where the are point. they? Meet them where they are. Meet them exactly.
1: Where they are. And that's I think the challenge when we're young when we're coaching and and I'm going to say young not only in age but even in the the the, the field and the career right when I I may have been kind of a you know somebody who wasn't necessarily managing people and now because of my ability right? My technical ability, I get promoted to manager. Now I'm managing five people. Maybe I'm really far in my career, but this is the first time I'm in this space. Yes. And I think what ends up happening is because we tend to promote based on outcomes. Yes, so we yes. get recognized based on outcomes. What we do is we forget that people are involved, right? right. So we are super hyper-focused on the outcome. And that means that we have a very egocentric way of how we're coaching. We're coaching through the lens of how does this benefit me? And we might say, no, no, no. I just want the, I want the team to win. Right. But I want the team to win because that benefits me at the end of the day. I know when I was, when I first started coaching, I wanted to win all the games, (laughs) all the games I possibly could, because if I won, I was a young female coach And if I won, then somehow I was legitimate, right? Like somehow then I could justify that I belonged in that space because Mm -hmm. the only way that I belonged is if I was just as good as, right? And then I said to myself, finally, it took like 20 years. I was like, hold on. Why am I using men, right? Or traditionally like men, Yes. As the measure of my (laughs) worth. Right. Why are they the barometer for what success is? If I'm as good as a man in this space, then I'm good. No, if I'm as good (laughs) as me, then I'm good. Right. Like that's the mentality, which is why I took a lot of flack like 20 years ago when I was an athletic director. I told my coaches when they walked in the door, I do not care if you win or lose. And every one of them kind of looked and they're like, oh, yeah, but you you really do. Right. And I'm like, I do not care if you win or lose. I want you to be competitive. I want kids to feel like they're learning. And most importantly, I want them to feel safe. And if you can do those things, if you can focus on the process, I promise you wins will come. And if they don't, it's not because you, you are a bad coach, right? There's so many other factors that come into that. So how we created that for coaches to like, and I can't tell you the number of coaches who came back to me and said, oh my God, like, I just feel like so less pressure. Mm. I didn't feel less competitive. (laughs) I felt less pressure.
0: Peace Consulting, I'm just absolutely loving this chat and uh, the insights you're providing. And um, so I'm going to ask you a couple of standard questions that we ask every guest. That joins the podcast. A couple of them, certainly you've, you've already mentioned it just before, um, Stole on the Thunder, which is great. And I've written that down, empathy, humility, and there's going to be, in fact, we might even start with that because that was uh, you led with it. And that is um, the three three words or less, what do you think makes a great coach? And straight away, Diana, you've put empathy front and center.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, w- I would say empathy, humility, and self-reflection.
0: Self-reflection.
1: I mean, think about this. How many times have you coached, right? And you've been coached. So um, in sport, could you imagine walking into a locker room? I wish that I I had even thought about this when I was coaching, you know, um, walking into a locker room after a game and saying, uh, can anyone tell me what mistakes I made today? Mm. Right. As a coach, can you (laughs) let me know what mistakes did I make? did I, it could be a timeout. I could be like, what if we flipped the script Mm -hmm. and we asked players to actually reflect on how we did that? What if we said, I did not, I didn't bring my A game today. I really should have called a timeout. I did not stop that run. Right. So I need to really reflect on that and do that change, you know, whatever, and then say, Hey, what about you all? Right. Mm. Like, could you imagine like mind blown? <laughs> like, yes. Cause what do we do? We go in, you didn't show up to play today. Oh, yeah. You didn't like all of a sudden I I did nothing wrong today, but you all did I'm the coach. <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> but if we win, who's going out there to give, you know, the, the, the pregame speech and it's just a post game. It's, it's just a, a different way of thinking. Like why can't we be vulnerable like that? Why can't we be exposed like that? So that's why I feel like that humility, empathy, self-reflection, you get those down, you're going to be a pretty good, darn good manager or coach. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, empathy is number one for me. In fact, um, Emma, who's been collating for the last 50 uh, odd episodes of the, sh- of the show, uh, empathy is number one in terms of what other coaches um, have, have put up there. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the self-reflection and, and exactly what you said and the, the excitement of how you're saying it in terms of the concept of putting yourself out there for scrutiny and feedback, and uh, I'm, I'm big on that because it's hard, isn't it? Because it's fear, fear of well, what are they going to say? Maybe deep in my heart of hearts, m- maybe I'm afraid that they're going to tell me I'm not a great coach, <laughs> and so therefore I'll avoid the thing that's right. hard. And avoid the scrutiny, but yet I'm more than prepared to put that onto my players, and so I'm fascinated by that psychology uh, of well, if you, yeah, I think the, isn't that a, a key aspect of what makes a great coach, and that's what you're saying—the difference between coaches in all their facets and the great ones. I would, I think, that's self-reflection, um, and and that practical example of. Asking those that you're coaching to give you the scrutiny that you're putting on them uh is
1: and it's an active empathy right it's an active building relationship it's an active empathy because it means like i see you and my what i do impacts you and i want to recognize what that is and i think that that becomes really important the manager like the other thing to to recognize is the power dynamic so if you're giving me feedback Mm. i always have power over you if i'm the manager or the coach i have power it's the hierarchy
0: of the coach right yeah
1: so, so I can take that feedback much differently when I am always the one giving you feedback, that power, that differential is really important. So like I, you might be like, oh, do they like me? Do they not feel like, you know, and at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't care because I got the job and you right. can't fire me. But the other way, when you're asking your employees or your players to be vulnerable, knowing you have that much power over them, but you're not willing to show that same vulnerability. No, like I that I can't get into.
0: Yeah, um, a- absolutely. Um, so flipping the script, that's that's what it's about and showing that vulnerability. Uh, and it's because when you're the coach, in, and this is a big thing in business because business is tradi- traditionally, you know, it's in a hierarchy, the organizational hierarchy, CEO, senior managers, middle managers, frontline managers, and then the worker bees down the bottom. And what modern leaders do is they literally flip it. And this is that crossover, which, again, this podcast is about sport and business. Um, When you're a manager, a coach, a leader, your job fundamentally is there, you're there to serve. You're in service. And that concept of being in service, which is a massive part of what I try to influence as as a coach, um, I think is at the heart of what you've just said um because when you're in service to to them uh you're putting them up on, on on the pedestal which means their their opinion matters uh their experience matters um their their views matter and you're making it about them and showing your own vulnerability i think is is everything uh i'm personally going to take a massive takeaway from that that self-reflection i probably don't, probably don't do enough of it myself um and uh, so, thank you, Diana. I've written that down. <laughs> um, and this is what it's all about, isn't it? We all, all the continuous journey of, of learning and yeah, Absolutely. self reflection. So, yeah. Um, so, let me ask you, uh, and I'm going to go back to the start. We've gone to the last question. I'm going to go back to the start. Vegemite, for all our international coaches, Vegemite, have you tried it? And do you love it or hate it, if you have?
1: <laughs> we had someone when I was in high school, we had someone um, that was like an exchange person who came over and lived um, in our house from Australia. Yes. Um, and the she brought Vegemite with her. And no, I, have, <laughs> I do not like it. <laughs> I don't understand how like i don't even really understand i don't think she explained even what it was i know it's a food source but yes. i'm not exactly sure what it what it's made that's of It's a yeast but extract is it what is it, it what
0: a yeast extract
1: a yeast extra i mean just that <laughs> i'm never gonna yuck someone's yum like if you like it like go for it that's great but i am not but look look I don't like mayo. I don't like mustard. So, like, really. Condiments cat- is not your
0: thing. It's a condiment. Condiments is not my thing. <laughs> so, for all the, all the listeners out there uh, that uh, are not familiar with Vegemite, um, it is a condiment for, for typically breakfast. Uh, you put it on toast. Um, where often um, people who are not familiar with Vegemite get it wrong, you've got to have a really strong ratio of, uh, even ratio of Vegemite with butter. Mm. And it's the combination, of the it. uh. crunchy toast, the butter, and the this sharp sharpness to this thing called Vegemite. That's the key. There you go. Tip of the day.
1: <laughs> there we go. That's it. See, I'm learning something as well. I'm gonna try it again.
0: There you go. So, um Diane, of all the the wealth of your experiences, obviously with your business, um, and and as you per what you've been talking about with your early days of coaching and everything in between. What would you say has been your best coaching experience?
1: Gosh, I I think my best coaching experience was also my most challenging coaching experience. Yep. And so when I was 20 years old, the very short story, um, I had a mentor. Uh, She was a wonderful, she was a teacher at the school that I was at. Um, She was an absolute wonderful human being and kind of was like a surrogate mother in many ways. Um, And she coached the lacrosse team. I didn't coach lacrosse. I didn't play lacrosse. I didn't know anything about lacrosse, but I helped her um, because she had, um, she had cancer and she was for her last kind of season. She asked if I would like, you know, move her chair on the sideline, carry her cane to games, um, pick up the equipment, like all the kind of, you know, just, managerial stuff. And I went to college kind of around the corner from where she lived. So I did all of that. Um, and she actually passed away on my 21st birthday, which was the beginning of May and our season had just kind of begun. We had, we were about four or five games in, and they asked me to continue to coach the team after that. And, you know, this was a team that had won like 13 County championships, a program, um, They were an unbelievable team and I didn't know anything about it. And it really set the tone for the way I coach and the way I think about coaching, because it was about team. It wasn't about me because it couldn't be about me because I didn't know anything. Right. So I had to ask alumni to come help me. I had to ask the players to help. We had to do it together because we didn't have another option in doing that. Um, We, we went undefeated. We won the county championship. And I take zero credit for any of that. It was this unbelievable collective experience. It was also one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I think I messed up a lot in it. Um, I was very young and I was grieving and I didn't know what I was doing. And it's also the thing that made me the person that I am today and the coach that I am today. So it's it's amazing how those two Mm -hmm. tensions can kind of live together.
0: Well, and so uh, I'm reflecting on, um, from the interview already, uh, the themes that we've we've talked about, and you've mentioned, and the fact that you stump—it's almost like you stumbled on the the, the insights through through collaboration, through yeah. um, not being that dominant hierarchical coach authority figure right. Right. Uh, out of circumstance. <laughs> um, look what you managed to, you know, um, achieve. Uh, yeah, but not just you. Right. I I don't, you know,
1: it's absolutely. I mean, I think that um, I I try not to think of any real achievements Mm. in my life around things. I try to think about it is every opportunity was an opportunity to learn and to have an experience and these shared experiences are great just as you're saying like the whole nature of this podcast and the work that you're doing is about shared experiences Mm -hmm. it's how we become we connect to each other and recognize the humanity you know that that we all share and i think that's important because we all exist through each other so it's like Mm -hmm. how do we connect. You know, we were talking earlier about like the the lockdown and being kind of socially excluded. And I think that in the pandemic, one of the things that we've learned, or I hope we've learned, is that we need each other and we need to be in community with each other because many of us have struggled and many in the world have struggled to survive not being connected to other people um and how do we take that and that learning and how do we continue to grow and develop and and really understand that um i i hope that there's some learnings that'll come from from all of this for sure
0: yeah well, I, I think um there's been a great certainly <laughs> In Melbourne, number one lockdown city in the world, yay, we take the crown, took it last Took it last week. Um, I know for myself and, and others, uh, I think generally, whether people are aware of this or not, but I think a quietening of um, people's lives. Uh, I think there's lots of positives around just going back to almost, you know, I was a kid of the 70s and 80s growing up, where typically, you know, you just stayed local, you went outside, you just played and roamed the streets and um, there was more of a local community even in suburban areas and uh, which has sort of just been lost in the modern world and I think it's taken people back to that and that's probably in a way for a lot of people they've discovered that for the first time they've never had that in their lives Um, so I'm fascinated by how that will the the resonance of that beyond lockdowns yeah when the pandemic's in a different you know, hopefully finished, uh, or at least evolved to something manageable.
1: And also how that impacts sport, right? Like, so oh, we're, we're up in the same generation and, you know, when I played sport, I, there was no travel teams. I didn't play on a travel program. I played yeah, for my yeah. local
0: yep.
1: town league and that's what I played for my local school and my local team. Like we didn't travel other places. And I'm not saying that those are bad, But what a benefit it was for me to get to know those in my community, in my neighborhood, to build connections, to build connections in my school and build those relationships there was such a benefit to that and we've lost a lot of those like youth programs, at least in the United States that are local. We just don't have that anymore. Yeah, um, right. and if we do, it's become so hyper competitive yeah. that oftentimes kids, you know, who don't demonstrate talent at an early age, they're not getting access to that.
0: And that's, um, yeah. Participation is everything. Um, the peace aspect of it's like whoever you are whatever you bring to the table um you sh- there should be a space for you uh look it's not always possible because of just cons- natural constraints that exist and you know opportunities uh <laughs> you know we try to create them but it's this is not always possible but but to the best of our ability i think we create those those spaces for participation just for the pure joy of yeah sport and um And the experiences that go with it because of as you said community friendships uh experiencing diversity of uh, people you might not otherwise get to absolutely hang out with um yeah you know so no it's it's a big deal and that's the big thing that's been impacted certainly in australia community sport is a massive thing in australia still at the local level um you know we're lucky i think because of our environment and our weather yeah it tends to lend itself to that and right um but uh, yeah, that's the lockdowns has has hurt that significantly. Um, I can imagine. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll come out of it. So, but all right. So next question, and you've so you covered the, the in, in one both the the worst and most uh, or m- most challenging coaching experiences. Right. The best, uh, tr- tremendous uh, insight there. Um, here's the sliding doors question. Uh, If you remember the movie with Gwyneth Paltrow, you remember the sliding doors where she had to jump jump on a train and it's like, and then the movie diverged into two possible um, uh, realities based on the choice that she made. Did she make the train or not make the train? Uh, And so, sliding doors. Has there been a key moment in your career, uh, like a single moment? There may be a couple, but defining moments that, and I suppose this could be what you've already mentioned, but maybe is there anything else that puts you on the path to where you are now?
1: Well, I would say that one of the the defining moments for all of this was um, about 20 years ago and I was walking home um, and I walked through a gym. I lived near um, Smith College and when it was cold, sometimes I'd kind of walk through the gym to like get through and there was a fifth grade basketball.
0: Sorry, Diana, whereabouts is uh, Smith College?
1: It's in, um, Northampton, Massachusetts. Okay. So I would, um, I, you know, I went through and they would rent their gym to the community, you know, to use. And so they had a fifth grade girls basketball game going on. Of course, me being the basketball coach, I was like, Oh, I want to sit down. I want to watch this a little bit. And it was very recent after we had mm-hmm. an, invaded Afghanistan, and um so we were kind of a nation that was just at the beginning of um another war mm. and i remember sitting in the stands watching this game and one team was up by 20 and they were still pressing the other team. And the, poor, the team that was down by 20 could barely get the ball over half court. Yep. And I started to pay attention to the language that was being used, right? So it, we started to use, you know, opponent, kill, crush, yeah, defeat, crush. Again, yeah. Crush <laughs> Yeah. Destroy. And I started to listen to yeah. the parents. I started to hear words yep. like destroy. And I thought, no wonder we've been a nation that's been at war more, more years than we've not. And that that we've become so desensitized to it because we are actually coaching for it, right? Mm. Like everything we do mimics that. And that's when I kind of decided like, what if we coached for peace? Like what if we were coaching peace? What would that look like? How would we change that, right? Mm. So we had to think about like, when we think about peace, we don't think about it as the absence of violence. We think about it as, the excuse me the absence of conflict we think about as the absence of violence right the elimination of violence the addressing of violence and we think about violence through direct violence cultural violence structural violence so that was a pivotal moment that was the moment when i was like i don't want to do it like this anymore i don't want to coach like this anymore i want to do something different i want to coach peace because everybody else is coaching war
0: coaching for peace not war uh it's, um, it's, it's, it's powerful. Um, I'm fascinated personally by the, um, the yeah traditional psychology of sport, which is, yeah, coaching by war, dominate, crush, defeat, right. um, and whether the relationship between that sort of style and success is ever been actually established, <laughs> um, as a, as a necessary thing when, exactly, um. And I think there's enough people now that are starting to demonstrate through uh, gaining success without doing that. To basically, it's all rubbish. It's not needed. There's no correlation. Well, also think about the system, right? The system is set
1: up where the only way you can sometimes be successful is if you do that. So it, yeah. it like, if you're going to measure systematic. your success, right? Like, you got to make system level change in order yeah. to do it because if you're measuring your success by that, like oftentimes you won't be successful, not in the traditional way that we look at success.
0: Yes. But
1: yeah, absolutely. So
0: redefining what the success is right. part, part of that as well. Right. All right. So are there any top tips or suggestions from your experience that, and you've given plenty already, but, um, I suppose you go to as a way of concluding the interview and and putting a full stop on it, uh, what would, what would be your top takeaway suggestions for coaches um, that they, they should consider as as their primary um, consideration?
1: (laughs) I think if, if there's anybody that listens to this and, um, feels like they wanted to debate me in this whole thing. And they're like, oh, wait a second. I want, I'm always up for a good debate. So I'm happy to do that anytime, but I want them to be reflective and think why, why is something that I say, get you so fired up, Mm -hmm. right. And feel so threatening to you Mm -hmm. as opposed to why are we not able to sit back and think, Hmm, wait a second. That's not the way I think about things. It's not the way I do things. But why, why, why does that react to me so strongly, especially coaches? When I say to coaches, like, stop focusing on winning, right? They're like, whoa, wait a second. You know, I mean, like, I might as well say something like puppies are ugly. Like, you know, like, people, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, Some just, puppies
0: are ugly, just saying. <laughs> <right? Exactly. laughs> so, like, it's, like ba- it's like babies.
1: I mean, but we never say it. But we, we can't say it. There's no way. There's an entire Facebook puppy group right now that is gonna be they're gonna say things to you. Um, but that's it. Like why? Why is it so threatening to you? What is it creating inside of you and why? And can you sit in that for a second and think about it before you do anything else? Right? Can you think about it? I don't. I definitely don't ask people to agree with me and to not like, I believe that discourse and discussion and and analyze it,
0: process it. Like
1: I want to know I'm going to learn something. You're going to Mm -hmm. challenge me in something. I'm going to learn it, but I'm not going to get angry with you about it. I'm not going to feel threatened by it because when I do then I know you're touching the core on something Mm -hmm. and I need to think that's my kind of warning sign. And I say, huh, what is this challenging in me? And why is it challenging? Why am I so focused on this um, and that? I think is really important. I used to tell my coaches all the time, especially basketball coaches, if you get a technical, you've gone too far in how you are. Your passion in the game yes, has become yes. now egotistical. Because what happens is, all of a sudden, you—it doesn't matter anymore. You're not. There's no educational component to this. There's nothing. Just you emotional. are just <laughs> right. It's just emotion, and now we're not in our thinking brain. Yeah. We're in our emotional brain, and we're not going to make good decisions <laughs> or know. choices in that at all.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, everything to it—it's the nature of ego, isn't it? And it's a fascinating right. thing. To explore and I'm, I'm loving I can see it on the on the video it's Emma's um, Emma and I have talked about this uh, quite recently it's a big thing for both of us uh, and I see it in everything you've just said and, and even your physicality there it's curiosity there's actually a curiosity underneath oh. I, I'm, I'm taking away from this interview from you uh, Diana in terms of um, yeah even the people you disagree with it's how you debate it's how left and right can actually debate it I'm fascinated <laughs> as to why you hold this position. Can we explore right. that for a moment uh, and unpack right. that? Because I think right. there is, for all, all people involved, um, it's... it's incredible.
1: And I want you to be curious as to why you hold that position, right? Like, I want you to think yes. about that. Like, why, do, why are you in that space? What is it? I often, you know, like, have to think back and, like, say, why, why am I so fixated on this? Why yeah. is yeah. this so important? And by no means am I, you know, uh, immune to it. Like,
0: no. I, I do the it's same right. thing yeah we've all got the ego and uh but but it comes down to and i think a great theme of certainly what i've taken away from this interview um how that manifests that curiosity becomes comes back to that self-reflection um right and and i think that's uh that's a brilliant piece of insight you've given uh given me and certainly i think our audience today so thank you
1: well i appreciate it so much this has been just a tremendous amount of fun
0: thank you um same for me so it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you um i'm really excited about getting this episode out there to the world um so diana kataya founder of coaching peace consulting um uh we can uh, we can spread your your message and um yeah help the uh coaching community find some uh find some peace within themselves and with those that they're coaching
1: absolutely thank you my friend i really appreciate it
0: thanks diana The Coaching Podcast was brought to you by Emma Doyle and Simon Blair. Emma Doyle is a global speaker and performance coach helping unleash human potential. Her website is emmadoyle.com.au. And I'm Simon Blair, trainer, assessor, and coach of sales and customer service skills with my own company, 5 Degrees. Connect with me on LinkedIn or email me at simon.blair at 5 Degrees. That's dot com.au.